Cross the Streams Podcast. Cross the Streams Podcast. Kip and Kane. Season 4 is here. New content in all our favorite segments like Listen Up, Hometown Heroes, Useless Full Information, Calling Men In, and many more. The Ion Brothers are back, everybody. Cross the Streams Podcast, Dishing on the Drive, plus a, a tie-in to our Calling Men In segment as we have one of our frequent contributors, Jeff Matsushita's here. Uh, and we're going to deep dive one of our, our episodes from last week when we were lucky enough to interview Jeff Pereira from uh, HigherUnlearning.com. Just a phenomenal guest that Jeff and I have a lot to debrief about, you know, the opportunity to listen to him speak and share his work and his thoughts. But Jeff, how are you? How does this podcast find you and the fam in Idaho? Uh, I appreciate the time, Kip. Um, we're, you know, in Idaho, we're, we're smoky clouds in the sky, and then we're uh, learning through internet Wi-Fi. Yeah. So, uh, it's, 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 we're here, and yeah. I guess we're COVID okay, but yep. uh, you know, short term, everybody's healthy, um, and we're making adjustments. Excellent. So. Well, you know, we had rain last night, and it's raining today, which is actually a great thing, because we've had all this poisonous, toxic smoke. In Oregon, so we're celebrating AQI numbers coming down from 600 down into the hundreds, and I never knew anything about AQI until the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I, I, neither did I, and I didn't know a damn thing about that, nor bandwidth into Wi-Fi. Right? So I'm learning all these pandemics to give me things yes. to learn about. So. <laughs> we got to stay students, right? We got to stay students of living. I love it, and that's what I, I, one of the things just to jump in with Jeff talked about, right? He's a student all right? the time and always learning. See, hey, man, we're, our brains are starting to sync up, which is a good and a bad thing, because my first bullet that I wanted to ask you about from Jeff coming on the pod last week and sharing about an hour with me was that point he talked about being a student of life and the best note taker. That really resonated with me. How'd that sit with you? <laughs> I was a kid peeking over his shoulder, so now I guess I'm from that. That's awesome. Uh, and, and then hearing that, like my first, my reaction to it was one, he, he's right, and I think that's where we come to that men, um, you know, you and I have had this time. We've had other men that we've talked with that we're all figuring this out together in the classroom setting. We're sharing notes, we're lived experiences, and when Jeff, Jeff said that, like he was willing to share his notes, that was another level to me of his about his security. His ego was out of it, and he is just like. Yeah, I'm, I'm in this conversation for us as men. Mm-hmm. And how do we all get better? Because, yeah, I was paying attention, but you know, how does this note play to you? What does this experience mean? Um, and then the, the other piece that I, I took it from was as being willing to learn, there's a vulnerability in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just thought he, he, he opened with that, and that almost gave me more credibility. Like, damn right. right. You're not going to sell me some box eight DVDs that I can watch yeah. and I'll come out and I'm, I'm a changed yeah. man. This is a process and this is a journey. Yep. No. Yeah, in that conversation, I really felt like uh, as a coach – it's hard to sh- to admit, right, that you're still learning and you're still – I mean, I think the good coaches do this, but it's hard because when you wear that badge of a coach, and I think men, fathers get this – stuck in this same realm, I'm supposed to have all the answers. I'm supposed to have them now. I'm supposed to have not even really tried that hard to figure it out because it just naturally came to me and I'm a genius. So I really liked him unpacking that and saying, no, 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 no. That's not – because that's, that's, that's something I struggle with, I know, is – be expecting myself to have the answer and or the fix-it solution right away. And I, I really like that where that conversation went with him 
Because he really talked about that. What about where he said, we got to sometimes as men not say, I got this, I got you. I really like that. Oh, that was gold. I think all three of those, I am just going to back up real quick. Mm-hmm. What he did for me was make this relatable. Like mm. He didn't intellectualize this. Obviously, he's intelligent. He's studied. He's read. And he was using, like he talked about early on, using uh, media. Like he, he gave the example of Sopranos. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And hell, two days later, I used that Sopranos example, exact thing he mentioned when I was talking to uh, a young man who's on a project with us. That's awesome. These feelings. Yeah. So, you know, Jeff gave the gift and the ripple out, you know, here in Idaho, all the way from Toronto. Um, but the way he was able to use this relatable things and make it accessible, um, some young men have had conversations with us and say, yeah, well, I'm in, but I ain't going to show up because I don't want to sound stupid. I don't mm-hmm. know what patriarchy is mm-hmm. or heteronormative. And, and I think that's on us as, as coaches, as fathers, as leaders, as just people who are reading and doing our work. Like being in conversation, like how can we bring it down? Not because the people are dumb or intellectual. Mm-hmm. It's, it's how do we make it relatable? Yeah. Because this is all of our work. Yep. For sure. And do you find that vocabulary barrier? How have you navigated that yourself? Because you've been doing the work, you know, with your stuff with the Idaho Coalition, some of your trainings across the country. How do you navigate that? Because I've found it in mine, too. You can even feel the room. Whether I don't know if tense up's the right word or like they're like, what did he just say? Oh, there's a word. You know, whatever empathy or compassion that we say. And it's like, oh, he's going to tell me this. He's So how do you how do you deal with that? Uh, back in the day, so gosh, 10, 12 years ago, I used to lead with, I'm a profile, I'm a feminist man. And <laughs> yeah. I wanted to just shake the room up and like put them all uncomfortable because I was coming at them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I, what I, I've learned is that I was trying to be right. Mm. And I'm not going to get anywhere trying to be right. So flipping it into the idea of like how to be effective is, is not dumbing it down again because they're, they're un, unintelligent. But it's relatable language. So rather than say something like systemic patriarchy, um, you know, I just kind of bring it into like, you know, the system's kind of built for me. And I walk this world in this body as a man. I don't worry about getting mugged, robbed, or beat up for sexual assault when I'm walking down the street. Mm -hmm. And if I do, I know I can call the police and they're going to believe me because I'm white passing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I got a cell phone because I have a job because I had access to college. Like, to me, making it relatable rather Mm -hmm. than than name those three systems of of the the legal system, uh, public safety, and education, how I I navigated that easily in in ways that I think are relatable Mm -hmm. rather than talk about them from a systems lens. Yeah. what I do know, man, is when I am feeling insecure, nervous, or shook, I go to that intellectual space. And ah. I start throwing out those words because people don't often push back. And I can just, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pressed. Yeah. I'm scared. So I drop those terms and I'm just thinking, all right, clock, tick, tock away. Get me out of this room uh-huh. and I'll survive. Because wow. people often don't respond to that. So yeah. I have to recognizing that for me when I get up in my head and it's all over. That's, uh, you know, hearing you talk about relating and relatable experience, it sounds a lot like what Jeff was mentioning. Uh, and we're joined. It's super, I'm talking to Jeff about Jeff. It's a crazy episode, right? Uh, but Jeff Machisita from our Calling Men In segment, we're here talking about uh, Jeff Pereira from HigherUnlearning.com, at Jeff, P-E-R-E-R-A, uh, interview on the pod last week. And he really talked about what you said. His, wor- his goal and his work has always been to show these concepts or these terms 
in your backyard or in your house or in your life, how, how you can relate to these things. And do you think that lands in what he talked about, that I see you, I feel you part, how hard that is for us to get to, you know, and all the things we're dealing with now, the racial strife for racial equality or the gender work you've been doing. I, I think that's so key, right? Oh, 100%. I, I would co-sign all three of those. I wanted, like, I want to make a damn t-shirt, right? Yes. Like, yeah. And, and put that idea of how we progress through it. So I see you. He talked about compassion and awareness. Boy, those are skills that I know I am lacking in, and mm-hmm. I get some reps doing it. But I think all of us as men, as part of that whole man box thing that, you know, that a call to men and Tony Porter talk about, like the way we were raised and expected in the bodies we were born into. This is how we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, and being uh, compassionate and aware of other people's pain, that wasn't in the game. Right. So that's a new muscle to flex. So I love that. I see you. Uh, I feel you is more empathy, and that's something that I have struggled with. Mm-hmm. Put some walk them out of my shoes. Well, damn it, are they size twelve Nike shoes? Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll spot them. I can do that. But outside, I'm not going to see anybody else's pain because I can't. Going back to that man box, I can't be fixated on your worry. I got to take care of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mm-hmm. the last one I got you. Oh, like that's a powerful statement. But those are also terms that I have heard from young people. Yeah, and particularly young. Other women of color or people of color, like there's a language that's relatable, and I'm not trying to co-opt language to sound young. I'm 43, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's a language that relates. So I think those three alone—I see you, I feel you, and I got you—that's mm-hmm. that's room for three conversations. Yes, yes, it's so much that the I got you part too. I I always try to apply it in coaching as well, right? And I, I you get kids on defense when you're supposed to be a rotator defensively. And you say, I, I, you know, I'm helping, and they don't move far enough over to actually make an impact. But I struggle trying to apply that because I think part of I got you is just being there and not being the solver. Like, I, I got you, and then I show up to comfort you. But really what I'm doing is trying to push you in all these directions I think will make you feel better. I think we struggle sometimes as men. Like, I got you might just be, you know, I'm available, but I, I don't get to say anything. I got to step back and let you feel this. I think it's really hard. I know it's hard for me. I try to fix my wife's feelings all the time. Like, okay, express to me what you feel. Thank you. Now I will show you how to fix it. And that makes it worse <laughs> almost every time. Uh, well, and we're both married to teachers. Yep. And, and, and so I think that that's been the last two weeks at our house. It's really, yeah, it's, it, again, trying to listen with my mouth closed. Oh, it's so and hard. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, what about the part... I really enjoyed, and I know you've talked about it a lot, and the courage in the moment. Um, and I, I think Carly's talked about it with us, Carly Rohner, our other frequent contributor, calling men in, is this is really a time for courage, but Jeff really framed it about there's certain moments, um, and he, I think he used the bar example, like in my circle of, uh, in a group of women, it's really easy to claim something that is quote-unquote courageous. It's harder when you're surrounded by folks that are going to steal your status from you when you admit this thing, right? I really like that. I mean, that was really one that like resonated with me for my kids, for my players, for myself. Like there's certain groups where it's easy for me to say all the work I do. There's other groups where, yeah, I, I got to really dig down deep to share what it is I feel. I, I, I heard that statement and I really liked it because it's relatable with young men. But as I'm, I'm thinking about it more, I, I wonder if it's power rather than gender. Right? He was talking mm. about women and men. Yeah. And it's power in the place because uh, I could be with a room full of men who happen to be you know, 17-year-old high school students, and I got power. Yeah. So 
I can interrupt those because I've, I have, and, and, and I also have not yeah. interrupted those horrible comments, right? So please don't get to believe that I'm you know, always doing this work right. well. Um, but I think power comes into that. Mm-hmm. Again, on the surface, like I totally get what he said. It does take more courage because you're, you're looking at social status. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about some of your male peers at a bar uh, and some dude pops off and says something derogatory, you know, about women or about race or about anything. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think that that's something we don't talk about enough for, for these young men, young folks, but specifically talking through you and teams of men. Um, there's something that, that at risk for them. Yeah. Say, hey, yo, you got to stay up be a bystander now. This is what it means to be an upstander. Yeah. Like there is some truth that they are, there's their social status. One, it means something to them. And two, like, we got to acknowledge that, yo, this is tough. Yeah. So the idea of perfection, when you just put out the window, um, and maybe we can model those things ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, well, gosh, so our daughter's playing uh, flag football, and, and she's the, she wanted to play, but she's, you know, she's going to be the only girl, so she asked me to coach. Reluctantly, I jumped on as an, as an assistant. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I have really stopped myself from like, Hey Jay, you got to use your voice. You got to be more proactive because she's pretty quiet mm-hmm. and she's docile there. Mm-hmm. Well, they had their first game last week, and she she played well for, and and she had fun. Mm-hmm. And so this next week of practice, I see her and she's like chopping it up with them, like she's just in now. Like, yeah, hey, you guys want to play catch with us? And they kind of ignored her. Hey, do you want to play catch <laughs> with us? Yeah. And they said, Oh yeah, 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 right. So. There's something about, like, I wanted to jump in and, and tell her how to be and how to do, but in that moment, letting her figure out and navigate her own power, I yeah. think that, that had some, some some play to it as well. So, um, as, to me, that's modeling out of the moment. Mm-hmm. So rather than be on Jay, I practice or in the car on the ride home. You know, I, I waited and let her figure it out. And then I did say something this morning. I said, hey, by the way, buddy, I saw you at practice last week. So for me as a parent, like, I get that practice of, even if I don't jump in at the moment, I can circle back to the people who said the harmful thing yeah. or may have received the harmful thing. Maybe not in the moment because that might be something that's not healthy for me or safe for them. Yeah. But out of the moment, I can come back and acknowledge it. That power, when you brought up the power, I really that resonated with me. We were I was giving a talk at Willamette on a Zoom about you know trying to equip people with uh, the ability to debunk some excuses and confront problematic behavior in the moment. And somebody asked me, um, you know, Kip, this is a, this is, I really appreciate some of these, but what about when it's your boss? What about when it's somebody that holds the power in the room over you or your career could be subject, you know, subject to harm by speaking up? And that, I, that really, when you brought that up, it made me think of that exact scenario where, man, this is, yeah, courage. Go ahead and keep saying courage, Kip, but your, you know, your paycheck's not on the line. If you open your mouth here. So I, that, that makes a ton of sense. Let's take our first break. And I want to keep going on this power dynamic with another thing Jeff said. We'll be right back. Across the Stream Podcast and its creators, Kip and Kane stand for anti-racism and for being disruptive to bigotry in all its forms. Before, now, and forever, we implore our listeners to listen to learn, learn to care, and care enough to act. 
All right, we're back, dishing on the drive, calling men in segment of Cross the Streams podcast with Jeff Matusita, breaking down uh, Jeff Pereira's appearance on the pod last week. Great episode with him, speaker, writer, um, person just in the work, the TED Talks, writings, interviews, working on a book based out of Toronto, Canada. Jeff, one thing that Jeff said, I'm, I'm going to flub that at some point, there's got to be some editing, uh, but when we as men, he said, when we as men feel powerless... We become dangerous in our attempt to fill that void and get rid of the shame, guilt, and helplessness we feel. That was crazy good, you know? Like, I was like, oh, my God. Is that, like, everything? <laughs> Is that, like, the problem summed up in one great sentence? But I, that really spoke to me. When I don't feel or other men don't feel as the big dog of the room, the big dog of your career, your game, your life, what we do to rid ourselves of that, quote, unquote, shame usually is harmful to others. I, I love the, the example he shared about Tony Soprano. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go into that. Go into that. Um, you know, this one, I won't go through the description, but really an older man who's in a position of power and there's a young man who may be a threat. You know, he was even labeled a bull. Mm-hmm. And Tony Soprano with power as the boss. And he physically beat up this younger guy. And the younger guy knew he couldn't punch back. And how, how Jeff Ferrer described yeah. that scene. So he takes it. And part of, I think, masculinity and manhood is that we take pain from those people in positions of power when we know we shouldn't push back. Mm. So he's taking it, taking it, taking it. Now, Tony, the boss, feels good. He's bleeding, but he's got that smirk on his face as he walks away, and this young man's on the floor. But I, my curiosity is, when we followed this young bull, this young man home, who did he take it out yes. on when he got home? yes. And I do think that that's a piece when we talk about domestic violence specifically, um, that, that from stories I've heard from survivors um, and also stories I've heard from perpetrators, specifically the perpetrators, uh, these men say, you know what, I lost control. Uh, I blacked out, didn't know what happened. Mm-hmm. Come to you hear that a lot, yeah. Tore up, I broke everything. Well, bro, really, you start looking at it, the stories I hear from the survivors are, yeah, he broke things, but they were all mine. Mm. Uh, yeah, he was punching me, but he was also placing them on my, you know, in, in areas that would be covered up by clothing. Yeah. So he didn't really lose control. As a matter of fact, he was laser focused control. So in that spiral of out of power, the vortex it creates a, a void, and that void then is the next thing that we can exert power over. Right. It, it ends up being permission we get from the world, the man box, and society saying, you know what, take care of yours. That's your girl. That's your wife. Mm-hmm. It's, you're the man of the house. So. I love that mantra, man. It, yeah. it allows those people to cause harm to those people who they think they can. And too long, I know I had been silent. So I think that's the work with us as men. How do we lift one another up? Right. Knowing that most of us will be never never be physically or sexually violent to anybody. Right. Problem is we've just been quiet. So how do we go back to that proverbial table, that kitchen table? Yeah. You know, and, and, and let people know, like, hey, you're going to be a man of mine. This is how we are. You know, one that made me when you were responding, it made me think of a book you you shared with me that you and I and some other coaches are reading. The part about you know I got this exerted upon me, and then I went home and exerted it on somewhere else. It made me think of the, my grandmother's hands uh, and Resma Menachem talking about pushing pain through, pushing trauma through to the somebody next to you or to the next generation. That that yeah. made me real. Does that does that that do you think about that at all? I got that part is really. That part of the book that we're reading, and I appreciate you bringing it to me, pushing it through others and being aware of, oh, my God, that did get flown through life to me, 
Am I pushing that to my son? Am I pushing that to my players? Am I pushing that through my wife? That's it's been that's been a powerful thing for me to think about. That's I appreciate you bringing up the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, what resonates is one something a teacher told us. Uh, Norma Wong, uh, who's teacher for the Idaho Coalition and the strategist, and she shared like if, if we don't heal our trauma, we'll bleed over the ones we love. Ooh, ooh, and, and, yeah. And that lines up with what Resno's saying, I think, and, and pushing it through. Uh, I, I do that with our kids. Um, so I think that, that, that my job, I heard another man say this, like trauma is not my fault, but healing is my responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. That's How we so heal good. is gets to be up to us. So in these times of COVID, these quarantines, and I get to lift up the conversations I get to have with you and Carly once a month, the conversations with, with you and the other coaches throughout the last year and a half, two years now. Um, these are healing spaces. Yeah. That was going to be my next question to you because in talking about where do we take these feelings and not, like you said, bleed out on somebody else, I do think we struggle as men to find these spaces. I think I've learned from you and others that to ask is fine, that the ask is so hard sometimes. And I've shared the story with other folks on, I think it was another podcast of even during COVID when we all knew we ha- we needed connection. And we all knew we wanted to see each other. We couldn't. I know groups of my friends would only join what really was a healing therapeutic session with each other if we all claimed that we wanted to do it to drink together. Even though all of us ended up having half a beer. Nobody, you know, but we talked for hours. We had to, like, label it. No, 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 it's virtual boozing, fellas. Because nobody wanted to say, no, let's heal, right? Let's get together and let's vent a little bit. Yeah, you slap that camel color over the marketing labels. Yes, out, right. right. Uh, you know, an experiment we tried at the end of March. I, this has been cooking for years. We just rolled it out at the end of March with uh, 13 men here in, in the Treasure Valley in Boise area. Said, hey, via Zoom, we're going to connect. And, and our intention is is around this one article. It's from the NPR article. I believe I've talked about it before with you and Carly. Uh, it was around, like, men's isolation. Mm. And and really, like I, I said, I don't want to turn into my father. Mm. And these other 13 men you responded. We had one meeting and hell, it's been six months. And we've got a solid core, about seven, who show up every Thursday night for an hour and a half. And we chop it up. Well, last weekend, we decided, you know, the COVID is kind of this, this the race here in Idaho had been dropping somewhat. Mm-hmm. And. We thought, if we could do something together, what could it be? Let's go camping. And we, we could social distance that way. We're outdoors. Yeah. Um, so five of us were able to go camping last weekend. And and it, it cracked me up. It hit me when we all got – we pulled up to the camp spot, and two of the men got out of the rig. And we even spent it all, I said six months together. And I hear them both say, oh, hey, it's nice to meet you. Can I give you a hug? <laughs> You know, so even all this damn time we spent on calls, and yeah. we cried, we laughed, it was still the formality of having to say, it's nice to meet you. So that uncomfortableness in person now, even yeah. though we're so comfortable online, um, those are things that, that yeah, we, we went camping, we drank whiskey, we sat around a fire, you know, and, but it was still a space where we were coming to one another yeah. and just talking and listening. Right. 
Does that make you think? That makes me think of another thing Jeff brought up towards the end of our conversation on the podcast, where he talked about the evo- like social media and just the evolution of how we conversate with each other. And he put brought he brought up that analogy of it used to be literally across a table. Let me see this man. He sees me in the flow of conversation. And now it's almost like there's a plexiglass up because the tweet is coming from under that dark plexiglass. I don't know who's on the other side. And it's coming to me. And I'm raging because I mean, it might be 10,000 people that think like this about me on the other side. And then I rage back. That that makes me think about uh, what, what Jeff brought up in that in that light. I, I love love. And you brought up the plexiglass. Let's not overlook the fact. Did yeah, I bring that, that up? You know, I have some occasional good ones. I have some good ones once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. That made me have to be reflective. Yeah. Yeah. One troll. And I think this is what your words were. One troll can send you off into a tirade. Yes. Uh, I I heard this. This was on, uh, I think it was last week tonight with John Oliver. I believe is what source I got it from. And, no, excuse me. It was the Daily Show. The Social, okay. Daily Social Distance Show with Trevor Noah. And his guest said Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, yeah. Said, you know what? Those Trump flags, when they have them up, yeah, they just make me irritated and mad and I want to rage. He said, and that Trump is not their singular focus. But when I see them, I cancel. You know, and this mm-hmm. is like feeding mm-hmm. in this idea that cancel culture exists. Yeah. But I, you know, write them off. Like, all right, here's a middle finger to you. Right. However, when Malcolm said that, that's not their singular focus. Because that struck me. It's like, yeah, I'm not a fan of Joe Biden. Like, I'm mm. not all down, ready to ride, donate hundreds of dollars to Joe. Uh, I'm going to do what I can to support him mm-hmm. to get, you know, 45 out of office. Right. But Joe Biden is not my singular place. So if I have a Joe Biden sign in my yard, that is not my daily focus. And I'm making the assumption as a human that the Trump flag is not their one singular focus either, mm-hmm. which always brings it back, man, that we got so much more in common than, than separates us and differentiates us. Mm-hmm. So where that common ground ends up being, and that's why I love that you're based in, you know, using this platform from an athletic, your position as a head coach, athletics has always brought us together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that can be the commonality and the, the experiment you get to run every year with your teams of men is that they are sitting around the locker room lacing up together, competing on the rectangle together, making bus trips together. But they aren't a single-minded where they're all the same individual. Yeah. They have their own values and beliefs. But when you put all those ingredients into the pot, what you get is a beautiful jambalaya. But every flavor's got to do its thing. It's got to come out. So mm-hmm. the differences are small, and those but the similarities are so great. So yeah. how do we find that common ground? It makes me and think of Jeff talking about changing lanes. Like, you're all the way over, I'm all the way over. Do we get one lane closer? And I'm bad at that. I know I canceled about five five uh, trick-up trucks today based on the flag they were flying in the back. I know that. I feel like the House of Cards speaks to the stuff that you and I, you know, you you brought me, uh, you brought the Tony Porter, call the men, Ted Bunch, what they do with the man box. I feel like Jeff talking about House of Cards that's built on status. I feel like that that there was a similarity there, a cohesion. Yeah, it, it, it is the fragility, like the frail, it's got to hate going intellectual fragility, but like um, the House of Cards is a great example because it doesn't take much to knock me off my game. Mm-hmm. And, and once I get off my game, then it circles back to our conversation. Then my the things that I pushed through were pushed onto me from my father yep. and my mother. I push it onto my kids. Oh, yeah, you're so. speaking of the choir. You get blown out as a coach. 
and you push that rage and that sense, you know, on your guys in the postgame locker room because that's what got done to you. And then, oh, I've, I know I've done it. And I know it's because my, you know, I had built up myself based on, oh, this game plan is, re- is a reflection of me. And that scoreboard, you know, it's me versus that coach, even though neither one of us did a single thing for that score. And that, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, I felt that before getting up off the bench. Like, oh, shit, I better put on a show here for these parents. Let uh-huh. them coach their kid up. So I get them off the bench, and I'm clapping really hard, or I'm pointing the finger really hard. Uh, but in reality, I'm, I'm just blowing air. <laughs> and, 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 no, I appreciate you as always. I know you got uh, pa- fathering duties to do, as do I. Actually, I got to go take care of the puppy who has kennel cough. So he's got to go. Brand new dog? Yeah, man. I, I lost that battle. I thought I had a great theory that if I could tell my kids they get a puppy during COVID, if they beat me in one of the video games that I'm a master at, right? So I figured there's no way. It took him about three days. So I lost oh, that. Shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, took him about three shit. days. House of Cards. Talk about that. Crumbled. And now I got a dog that I love, but he's costing us money. <laughs> there's, another, there's a whole conversation around what you said yes to with COVID that you never Right. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Thanks. Cross the streams. Content reminder. The opinions expressed on today's episode are those of the hosts and guests alone and should not be viewed as reflective of the opinions of the institutions or employers of the hosts and guests.